Good evening everyone, my name's Dave. If I haven't met you before, I'm the Assistant Minister here at St Mark's. Before we jump into that passage, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in your word you tell us the truth, no matter how hard it can be to hear sometimes. We pray that tonight you give us the ears to hear and the hearts to receive what you have to say to us. And we pray that as a result, we might live lives full of thanks, enjoying all the good things that you've given us in the, in the present. Amen. So when I said this passage, we're looking at this passage tonight, we're looking at the Ecclesiastes passage, and that's on page 578. So 578, we're going to be going through that passage and a few passages there. So it'd be great if you had your Bible open. 578. So if you've been with us for the last few weeks in this series called Chasing After Wind, you would have noticed there's, there's sort of a cyclical structure to our talks. We've sort of said the same thing over and over again. And it's sort of no surprise because at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 1, you might remember these words, the cycles. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, goes round and round. This theme of cycles has been firmly set in Ecclesiastes. And like I said, it's sort of been noticed or noticeable in our sermons. We've seen each week that Hebel is everywhere. Hebel is the Hebrew word for fleeting, for breath. Everything is fleeting. Everything's breath. Our lives are breath. Our lives are fleeting. The things we chase are fleeting. We try to chase after success or career or money and we sort of, sort of think we got there and we grab at it and it's just not grabbable. And so we're told to not chase after wind. Instead, to be thankful for all the gifts God gives us in the present and to fear God. These are themes that have sort of hovered around in our sermons that you've, you've probably heard week after week. This evening is a particularly uncomfortable uh, topic. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's prodding. It, it pokes us. Um, in chapter 12, verse 11, the editor, the person who's put all the words of the teacher together in the book, so there's the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he's the wise guy who says all this stuff, and there's the editor who's arranged all his teaching into the book. The editor says, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. One shepherd's God. The editor is saying that the teacher's words are like goads. Now, here's a goad. This would be used by shepherds back in the day to keep the sheep and the cattle in line as they led them through wherever they were leading them through. They're pokey. They hurt. And the editor is saying that the wisdom of the teacher is like that. It pokes us. It's uncomfortable. But it's all in an effort to keep us walking along the path of wisdom. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. Helping us be wise, that is, live well in the world that, we live in, uh, that we're living in. And so tonight's sermon is meant to wake us up to life. It's meant to wake us up to life. And more specifically, it's meant to wake us up to life lived before our creator so that's the purpose of the teacher's teaching and tonight's sermon to wake us up to life lived before our creator so on monday night 
Arian had a rare night out. My wife, Arian, had a rare night out. Uh, she um, asked me to put Alora to bed for the first time. And so I put Alora to sleep and it worked. And I was very happy. And at about 9.30 at night, I gave um, Arian, my wife, a call just to see how the night was. And at the end of our conversation, Arian told me without warning, um, she just said that as I was leaving, she said this, Catherine, who was one of the friends she was catching up with, told me that Pete, who's a mutual friend, was killed in a car accident the day before. So this is last Sunday that this happened. Now, in that moment, life just slowed down. It was a few seconds, and I remember thinking, I was, I was about to say, that surely that can't be true. I was, I was going to say something like that. But I knew in my head that, yeah, she just said that, and she's not joking. And you sort of feel your stomach sort of turn or something. Pete, um, this is a picture of Pete. Pete was a good friend. We knew him from a church uh, years ago. He was a lot of fun. He was a bit of a joker. He was married and had four young kids. And it's the inescapable and sometimes shocking reality of death that the teacher wants us to grapple with tonight. And when we do feel it, we wake up to life. So let's look at chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. So sunshine, warmth, the beach, whatever it is we enjoy in life, the teacher's saying, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Take it in. Because... The reason is it won't last forever. That, that logic, enjoying life because it won't last forever, is exactly the same logic in chapter 9. So turn with me, turn back to chapter 9, page before, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The teacher says, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. So we all share a common destiny. That's what he's saying. And of course, that's death. Death is the great equalizer. No matter whether you've been morally upright or not, no matter how much money you've got in your bank account, no matter how well you've done in life, death meets us. And not only is death our common destiny, in verse 1, it might happen at any moment. So none of us know what lies ahead, whether love or hate. None of us know what is going to happen tonight for us. We might go to sleep, as we might expect, or we might be in an accident. Or we might hear of amazing news that that, that we've received an inheritance. I don't know, we've got no idea what is ahead. The question is, where does this leave us? And so we return to a common theme in Ecclesiastes, verse 7 of chapter 9. Go, enjoy your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. 
He wants you to enjoy them. Always be clothed in white. I made an effort to wear a white shirt tonight. And always anoint your head with oil. That is, that is, spoil yourself. Oil was rare. Spoil yourself. Enjoy life with your wife or, or husband or those you're in relationship with, whom you love. All the days of this, it says meaningless in your Bibles, but that's the word hebel, which I think fits, uh, the word fits better, uh, fleeting. Fleeting fits better there. So all the days of this fleeting life that God has given you under the sun. Or back to chapter 11, verse 8, the exact same message is there. However many years anyone may live, enjoy them all. And now specifically, we've got words to the younger people. Now, so there are many younger people here. So hear these words. You who are young, be happy while you're young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are fleeting. So the next day on Tuesday after we found out the news, Erin at, at breakfast was just sort of reflecting on, on, on what had happened on the news. And she was saying how we so easily get caught up in our worries, in, in money, in careers, in, in, in work or, or children. We so easily get caught up in our worries and we forget how fleeting life is. Death just sort of shakes us and it helps us put everything back into perspective. And so Arian's words to me were basically, um, we've, got to, we've got to enjoy the moment, the, the gifts of God whilst we have them. She didn't say the gifts of God whilst we have them, but her point was we've got to enjoy the gifts while we have them. So that's my first point. We need to enjoy life because it won't last forever. That's what the teacher's saying. Second, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, we need to remember our Creator. We need to remember our Creator. So what follows? The first eight verses of chapter 12 is a poem. It's packed with metaphors. And with any poetry, the intent isn't that it transfers information from the page to our heads. The intent of poetry is that we feel the truths that it's talking about, that, that, that it sort of goes beyond our head to our sort of hearts, that we feel the truths. So chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. So youth here isn't um, referring to sort of the teenage years only, as we tend to uh, use the word. Youth refers to anyone whose strength and sort of vitality is still intact. So he's saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. So this language here brings us back to chapter one when it was talking about the clouds and the sun and the wind. We're reaching the end of a cycle in chapter 12. Darkness is coming over the land. And so verse three begins a description about aging. When the keepers of the house tremble, that's probably referring to the strong arms, now shaking. And when the strong men stoop, they're probably referring to the legs, which are becoming increasingly bent with arthritis. When the grinders, the teeth, cease because they're few, and those looking through the windows, the eyes grow dim. 
When the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the street, when the almond tree blossoms, grey hair, and the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and, and mourners go to the streets. Remember him, remember your creator before the silver cord is severed. The silver cord, the, the lifeline. And the, before the golden bowl is broken, that is this most invaluable thing is shattered. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and sort of life just begins to leak. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The cycle that began in chapter 1 has come to an end. And so the teacher finishes with the exact words he started with in chapter 1. Fleeting, fleeting, says the teacher. Everything is like a breath. So as a minister, I uh, have the privilege of attending funerals pretty frequently. And in chapter 7, verse 2, the teacher says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than it is to go to a house of feasting. Now, funerals aren't easy to sit through. They're often sort of filled with, with grief and sadness, as you'd expect. But the teacher says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because at a house of mourning you get a healthy perspective on life. So at many funerals, you'll watch a short video. It's usually about three minutes, the length of your average song. And in the three minutes, in this short little video, you'll see someone's life from beginning to end, sort of summarized with photos. So you'll see often the first photo are parents joyfully holding their baby, their newborn baby. And then you'll see a photo of maybe the, the child at four years old playing with a hose in the backyard. And then you'll see at 10 years old, maybe the child holding up medals they won at the school athletics carnival. And then at 17 or 18, graduating school and you know, 25, they might have found a partner and they get married and, and, and start a family themselves. In three minutes, you see a life flourish and then slowly slow down. I'm always reminded of these verses from Psalm 103. I don't have them on the screen. Um, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. In an excellent commentary on Ecclesiastes, it's called Living Life Backwards. David Gibson, the author, uh, author, he writes these words. We tend to live forwards. Ecclesiastes teaches us to live backward. It encourages us to take the one thing in the future that is certain, our funeral, and I think the teacher would also say our judgment, and work backward from that point into all the details and decisions and heartaches of our lives and to think about them from the perspective of the end. If we know for sure where we are heading, then we can know for sure what we need to do before we get there. Ecclesiastes invites us to let the end sculpt our priorities and goals, our greatest ambitions and our strongest desires. 
Like I said before, death just jolts us to take the most important as the most important. And so this this passage at the beginning of chapter 12, its purpose is twofold. Its purpose to the youth, to those who are younger, it's to open your eyes to the life that God has given you. That the strength that you have, the, the, the ability you have to do things and dream dreams and chase them. Not in the chasing sense of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 11 says, we should be happy, to be hap- we are, we should be happy while we're young and, and we should give our hearts over to joy in the days of our youth. That's the first point of this passage. And the second point for everyone else, and including the youth, the point of the passage as well is so that we remember our Creator. That we remember our Creator. That we remember the most important one, our Creator. Don't get distracted with life. Enjoy life, all that it has to offer, but remember your Creator whilst you do. So chapter 12, verses 9 to 14, we finally reach the conclusion of the book. Okay, so when I was uh, studying exercise and sports science, I learned anatomy, I learned neuroscience. Um, I also learned how to read a scientific paper. You read the abstract, and then you turn straight to the end and read the conclusion. I'm pretty sure that's how it's meant to happen. And, and this is the conclusion. So not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So let's start with verse 14. Here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humankind. So part of the point, uh, major points of Ecclesiastes is for us to see our creatureliness, how limited we are, how time-bound we are, how fleeting our lives are. And the reason for that is that if we are to realize that, we inevitably realize that we have a creator and he's not like that. Our limitedness, our creatureliness turns us to our creator. And, and, and Ecclesiastes says that we should fear God and keep his commandments. Now, fearing God isn't being scared of God. It's not sort of stultifying or um, doesn't cause us to sort of freeze up in, 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 in an unhealthy sense of fear. Fearing God is knowing the infinity of God. It's knowing his almighty power. It's knowing his holiness. But it's also knowing his mercy and his goodness. And so fearing God doesn't sort of paralyze us. It actually energizes us to go and obey. Because if you know God as the one who gives you all the good things in your life, each breath that you you breathe, each relationship that you enjoy, each meal that you love, if you sort of know God as that, as, as your creator and provider, then you'll be energized to obey him and keep his commandments, the teacher says. In verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, judgment, 
Judgment is meant to do two things, at least two things. First, it's meant to wake us up. Judgment's sort of like an ice bucket poured over you. It's meant to wake you up to the reality that your life will be judged by God. Your life is known to Him and you'll have to answer to Him one day. It wakes us up. It's an ice water bucket over us. And so what it should do, what judgment should do, at least in the logic of Ecclesiastes, is wake you up to his generosity. Because when that happens, you'll thank God, you'll overflow in thanks, you'll love him and you'll want to obey him. Do you see how that works? Judgment wakes you up to see his gifts so that you thank him for them, you love him for them and you live for him. But also judgment, it gives us hope. Ecclesiastes is a book committed to telling the truth. It looks out in the world and just says it like it is. And a theme in Ecclesiastes is how the world is filled with evil and injustice. And we all know that. We see it in the news. Um, the, the, the picture the teacher uses um, is that our world's all crooked. And the, the picture is of a, a really strong iron pole or rod that's crooked and no matter how hard we try to straighten it we just can't god's judgment is his promise that he will straighten it so again from that book i I quoted from before the world is not meant to be like this will there ever be a time for justice and the answer is yes god will make right every single injustice and every single time, and every single activity. So judgment gives us hope. So we've been a long way tonight. We've, we've, we've talked about enjoying life whilst we have it. Life is fleeting. And so I've got to ask you questions. I've got to make sure you're applying this in your life. So are you too busy to enjoy the, the relationships God has given you, especially the, the, the close ones? Are you too busy to enjoy the time you have with your spouse? Do you see your spouse as someone who helps in the errands of life, but not someone who is there to enjoy and look forward to spending time with? Do you cherish the time you spend with good friends, their gifts, or church family? We're brothers and sisters. Do we make the most of our time together? Do we sort of recognize them as, as, as gifts? And, and particularly to the youth, enjoy life while we have it. Um, we need to, this is, youth includes me, and by the way, I'm glad to say that. Um, we need to not waste our lives, our, our, the strength we have, these moments, the, these times we have where we can, like I said before, dream dreams and chase them. Times that we, we, we have to, to, to achieve things. We don't want to waste our lives watching Netflix. If you've got an idea, sort of a business idea in the future, go for it. If you you want to help in a third world country, go for it. This is the time. Do a mission trip. If you want to um, go into politics, go for it. This is the time. The teacher wants us to wake up to the life he's given us. Uh, not only that, he wants us to remember our creator. And so my challenge here for you is to take the gifts he gives you and let those gifts 
flow into your love for your creator. So if you're given a gift from someone, if I was to give Andy $100 million, he would think, wow, Dave's generous. <laughs> He'd love me for it, wouldn't you, Andy? Yeah, good. Um, in the same way, if we receive gifts from God, we should love him for them. So when you're rock climbing, if you do that during the week, thank God that he gives you the strength and the opportunity. If you go mountain bike riding, thank God that he's the creator of the hills. If you, whatever it is, let the gift flow into your love for God. That's the challenge there. And thirdly, the conclusion, fear God and obey him. I'm just going to leave those words there. So the teacher has wanted us to feel the sharp goad of death tonight. But to leave it there wouldn't be Christian, well, not in its fullest sense. We need to meet the one who isn't bound to time and death like we are. So in the second reading, Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days. You probably could smell the smell near the tomb. In a way, Lazarus, he represents us all in that we are all going to be like that one day. And so when the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, when the dust returns to the ground in which it came from, what hope do we have? <coughs> Jesus said to Martha, Lazarus's sister, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you see the tension there? Do you see that sort of the riddle-like sort of way he's put that? So we will live even though we die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So we die, but we'll never die. My friend Pete, our good friend Pete, he died last Sunday night. And he left behind a beautiful family and it's a tragedy. But our friend Pete, he didn't die. Pete believed in Jesus, and so he lives. And so maybe the best word is that he is now asleep, and he will rise. So whilst we go about enjoying life in the present, whilst we have it, whilst we go about remembering our Creator and fearing God and obeying Him, we need to know that for all those who are connected to Jesus by faith, even though we'll face death, we'll never die. When death's, when death's shadow comes, it can be sudden and it can be tragic. It will cause groaning and it will be as painful as the poem describes it. But it's not the end. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Let's pray to our creator. Our almighty God, we thank you so much that you've given us breath and you've given us life. We pray that we don't let these gifts, the gifts of life and all that we have, pass us by without us recognizing them. We pray that all the gifts that you give us flow over into lives characterized by thankfulness and joy and obedience. Father, please make it our joy to obey you and live for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
who could not be conquered by death. Amen.